we're up for it. Helen, come on up here. Helen's going to be um, speaking with us today. Let's give her a cheer as she comes up. Cause that's your mic. As I, yeah, that's yours, yeah. So as I said, in August, we're, doing, we're, we're feasting on the goodness of God. This is a sermon series all about the goodness of God. Uh, and, uh, and we're mixing it up in terms of people giving it a go preaching. Have you ever preached before? Yeah, great. That's good to know. <laughs> we did talk before. Uh, just as it, it's been a while. It's been a while. Um, Long time. But yeah, uh, Helen Ben are part of the community here, and it's going to be wonderful to hear some of your story and all you've learned about the goodness of God. And so I'll hand over to you. Right. Thank you. Hi, everybody. This is my lovely husband, Ben, and he's going to be reading the passage. Just to warm up act. So we're, as a community, I feel like we're parking in 1 John at the minute, which is brilliant. So the reading today is from 1 John, chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message that he has given us to announce to you, that God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say that we have fellowship with God, but go on living in the darkness. We're not living in truth. But if we are living in the light of God's presence, just as Christ is, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from every sin. Thank you. So just to introduce myself, my name's Helen, and we've been coming along to the church since Easter time. I've got three children who are 10, 9, and 7. We live in Crediton. Um, I'm a counsellor and an artist. And just a little bit of background, I went to sixth form college with Pete many years ago. And um, yeah, we were actually a part of a really vibrant Christian union. Uh, it was the main reason I went to the sixth form college. I heard amazing things about it. I think at the time it was the biggest in the country of its kind. And it was so amazing, as 16, 17-year-olds, to be a part of this collective that just loved the Lord so much. And um, yeah, I mean, for the second year, I ended up um, running the CU. And Pete might not know this bit, but I actually got into trouble with the college as, they, as I started my first term of, of the second year and got called in because I had 45% attendance. I was so busy involved with the CU and it was so exciting. We were able to connect in with, um, you know, as a group, um, bringing in speakers and then missional things. Um, we had a little 24-hour, 24 um, 24-7 prayer room on the ninth floor for a while um, but yeah, I had to learn how to manage my time a bit better. It was kind of skiving for the Lord. <laughs> Holy skiving. <laughs> anyway, so Pete has asked me if I would share my testimony. And it's an absolute joy to be here to share with you. And I intentionally would like to choose to share a part of my story that feels quite recent, does feel very vulnerable, um, and, and raw in some ways, but it, it requires of me that I be honest with you and share in a level of vulnerability. So that's what I want to do today with you. In life, we know that life is full of disappointments and heartaches. These things are unavoidable. And if I think back to these years that I'm going to share about, they were many years which were very 
excruciatingly painful for me. Even now, uh, in preparation of this, I've had a lot of weeps, so I have my pile of tissues here. Please uh, <laughs> forgive me for if I weep. And um, I think we all can testify that, that these often become the times where God can powerfully reveal himself to us in the pain and in the heartache. What do we do when things don't go to plan? What do we do when we experience pain, loss, and heartache? What do we do when our prayers aren't answered the way we imagined? This is part of my story of learning to let go, to embrace the mystery, and letting God into that pain. Embracing that mystery goes against our hard wiring in our brain. Our brains instinctively search for resolution to bring a completeness to solutions. Uh, it's very uncomfortable. Our brain experiences the dissonance between un something unresolved. And this is sometimes very helpful. If you can think of an example maybe at work where there's been an issue, our brain will be helpful to problem solve and bring a completion or resolution. But this isn't always helpful. Some things in life don't resolve. And this can feel hugely uncomfortable. And where the brain tries to be helpful, it may offer solutions to us. Maybe, for example, we've prayed and prayed and prayed for a situation for a specific outcome. It hasn't happened how we planned. And our brain mind try to bring a resolution or a solution by telling us something was wrong with us. Maybe God doesn't care enough. Maybe this is too big, complex for God. So that what happens here is there's the dissonance between what we think we believe and then what we're experiencing. And in this place, it's easy to embrace a false narrative so we build a theology based on our experience rather than allowing God to speak his truth into it, into the situation. So what I can testify is that for me personally, the very worst thing I could have imagined happening to me, the thing I had feared the most, the thing I had judged the most happened to me and God met me and revealed himself to me in a really profound way. And for me, personally, that was becoming a single mum with three very small children. I had thought I'd done everything in my strength to create a life of faith that was certain and secure. At age 20, I married a man I had met on a mission training school in the bush of Africa, uh, with an unreached people group called the Makua tribe. We married and built a mud house ready to give ourselves to this people. But it became really hard very quickly. It was an environment that was very challenging. We were isolated. It was very remote. And disappointment began to set in. So by the time we moved to America... We were both carrying a lot of deep disappointment. And it was at this point that he began to walk away from his faith very dramatically. 
So eight, ten years down the road, when he left the marriage, by this point I'd experienced a lot of rejection and betrayal and I carried a lot of stress in my body. Through the painful years, I didn't know what to do with the amount of disappointment that I carried. I hid it out of the fear of how it would be received. The fear of failing as a wife. I feared people's judgments, that I could have somehow done more. I couldn't bear other people's disappointment, let alone my own. And their advice was just too much. I felt like I tried all of it. But in the midst of this, God began working in my heart in such a profound way. He told me he wanted to set me free from the resentment and the bitterness that had begun to harbor in my heart. It was very easy for me to have blamed him. It's often the natural response that we have in pain is to blame and judge. I could have been justified. There were things that were really hard to live with. I spent a lot of nights completely alone with usually a newborn and babies, and he would leave through the night, and I didn't know where he was or what he was doing. I would lie in bed in absolute terror. I had no control of the situation. And in these times, hours would go by and I wouldn't be able to sleep. I could feel my adrenals, the cortisol rushing through my body, my heart rate, and I couldn't sleep. I would, be, I would beg for the Lord to find a peace. I was desperate for him to rescue me out of this. But years went by of this. The Lord told me, he taught me how to fight for my peace, that there was a promise of rest I could find in him. The image of Jesus sleeping in the storm in the boat became a lifeline to me that there was this promise that I could learn to literally sleep in the storm I was in, that it wasn't about the storm being removed, but about me learning to overcome and sleep in the midst of the storm. I had these experiences in the night where the Lord showed me that my actual bed, as it were, was was in his throne room, that this very place that had become a place of torment was where he would meet with me and I would weep and I would feel him weeping with me. It was because of his great love and mercy for me that he wanted me to be free, that he didn't want me to carry and harbor the bitterness in my heart. There is a verse, a few verses I want to read that became really profound for me. I'll read them to you in Isaiah 58. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of your finger, the malicious talk, then your light shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a well-watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. 
those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Now, the reason these verses were so powerful to me was because by this point, from the stress I was internalizing in my body, I developed an autoimmune disease, a rare type of arthritis called psoriatic arthritis. And I had a lot of pain in my joints. Um, and I'm still walking that out. But here is this promise that he would literally strengthen my bones and that he would rebuild the city walls, which for me spoke of my battered immune system. But for my challenge was to stop the pointing of the finger, to stop pushing the pain and the blame and the judgment for me to own my walk and my responsibility with the Lord. So when he eventually left, I had a four-year-old, a three-year-old, and a baby, and we were plunged into a very chaotic time where we moved multiple times in one year, and these moves included moving across city, then across all the way to the west coast of America, and then eventually moving here across the Atlantic to England, where we then began to try and rebuild our lives. But when a marriage breaks down, there is a ripple effect of the chaos, really, and the destruction, and it, it, the impact was huge. But there was also a lot around lawyers and immigration and finances, and it was a very complicated time. But in this time, I was overshadowed by the goodness of God. I felt like at times I was standing back and watching a movie play out of my life. It, it was just, the miracles were unbelievable. And in this time that I had so f afraid of, the thought of being, as I said, it was the greatest fear that I'd had of, of being alone. Here I find myself in this what I thought was a dark corner, these things I'd avoided, loneliness, for example, I found myself in this corner and I found it to be illuminated by Jesus himself. As I let go of the life I'd imagined, the family I'd imagined, the ministry I'd imagined, Jesus became like a husband to me. He stepped into my heart and filled that place. He became like a father to the children he began to heal our broken hearts. As I was honest about my pain, about my struggles, about the fact that I couldn't keep it up, I couldn't keep a brave face, he became bigger than the mess I was in. His story, his narrative, he began, I began to trust that he was shaping in me a greater story and in and through me. And I am still on this journey. There is still mess. It is still complicated. We still grieve as a family the losses. It's still painful. And it's in times of worship that I cling to the Lord that something happens where I feel anchored in this knowing that it's going to be okay. And I remember back to that's all I knew to do when I, the children would cling to me and I'd be holding them and we would worship and this anchoring would happen that I knew there was a bigger perspective of what he was doing in us, that there was a deep work he was doing. I was undone in worship times. 
So through, through these painful years, I, I was an artist and I, were, um, I painted quite general themes previously, but in, in these times I began to paint the story that um, was emerging really, which was uh, the impact of stress on the body. I was learning physiologically and neurologically what was happening in my brain and my body. And I began to paint dendrites synapses in the brain. I began to paint neurological pathways and neurons. I began to paint what cortisol looks like when it floods your, your brain and your body. I began to paint thoughts and the emotions attached to them and how they occupy space in your brain and what forgiveness literally looks like in our brain, what fear literally looks like in our brain. I began to paint these, these trees of the mind, these dendrites, and I, as I would talk with people in front of my paintings about my work, the conversations that would emerge were so beautiful because people would want to tell me their stories. And so when I moved here five years ago, I retrained as a counsellor and I now feel that I am an advocate for people telling their stories, their true, authentic stories. I now use art in therapy. And through the lockdown, when everything, all therapy went online, I began to actually, I, I did a pilot program and began to run uh, therapeutic support groups, working with these vulnerable women uh, locally in Crediton area uh, for women experiencing long-term mental health conditions. This became a safe place where we could actually meet in person through the lockdowns. And it became a very, very special place. They're called um, Art in Reflection, My Life Journey Through Metaphor. So each week we look at a different metaphor within the landscape and we paint. So, for example, the week we look at sky, we think about the storm, we paint storms and we think about the storms that we've overcome. Because what research shows is that if we can make sense of our story and get a clarity on our story, understand where we've come from and how we've got to where we are, we call this a coherent narrative. When we can develop a coherent narrative for our story, we become more resilient. So when I start a new group, so we've done three groups now. When we start a new group, we build together a group contract. And in this group contract, we talk together about the values that we want together. That we, it's like a, we literally sign this contract and it's a promise of the way we want to be together. So these are values like wholeheartedness, vulnerability, honesty, no bias or judgment, no advice giving, no comparing pain. These are really, really valuable. And I'd like for us to take a moment to think together. Us as a supportive group together, as a community and in a collective doing community together. If we were to do a group contract, what would we put as our values that we want to be for each other and give to each other and receive from each other? Because we all, I think we can all say, yes, we want to celebrate wholeheartedness. Yes, we can all agree that that's a really wonderful thing. But to live authentically is actually really hard work. Because it forces that we bring all of ourselves to show up in the midst of our pain. 
I think it can be quite easy to hide in church, that we can come to church, we can sing, we can listen to a sermon, we can engage in small talk, but we can sometimes leave without people really knowing how we are. And I think being emotionally available, it does mean that we will be seen, we will be heard, we will feel known and loved, and this is really, really amazing. But it means that when we bring ourselves, that means we bring the hard parts of ourselves, the parts of shame, the parts that maybe aren't so lovely and handsome or beautiful, the parts that have previously been rejected. I remember the agony of being in church and of seeing other families and friends with their spouses at church. And for me, that was really painful because I was confronted with the very lack that I had. It really hurt. And we will feel fear when we bring ourselves and share honestly in relationship because those parts that have been rejected in the past It's like we have to face that fear, to push through it, to move beyond and overcome that fear. Brene Brown calls this a vulnerability hangover. This is when we share honestly. And then afterwards, we're like, oh my goodness, I said too much. How will that be received? Um, I will probably have a vulnerability hangover later, (laughs) FYI. So we do this in relationships where we feel safe. This isn't to be done in every relationship. This would be called an emotional vomit. But what we do is where we have relationships where we feel safe, where we feel like what we bring will be held. And this is what, I, this is what we want as a church community, right? To support each other, to not downplay each other's pain when we bring our pain, And to not put on each other a false narrative around maybe from our experience or a quick fix response. Jesus, in his mercy, wants to bring things into the light. And shame cannot stay in the dark. Because when God brings things into the light, he brings things and he, it's his mercy and it's his goodness that wants to bring healing. And God wants to bring healing out of shame. And this is because God is light. In him, there's no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. It's his mercy, it's his goodness that wants to bring things into the light. And I'd just like you to take a minute now, if you just want to close your eyes and connect in your spirit to the Holy Spirit, the one who loves us fully, who knows us fully to let the Lord shine his light into any area of pain or disappointment. It's his mercy not to expose us, but rather to bring healing and restoration. 
It's his kindness. It's his arms wrapping around us. So Holy Spirit, we invite you now to shine your light on these areas of pain. We invite your mercy, your healing balm. I just pray right now, Father, that you would speak your truth, your narrative into any pain or disappointment that feels like it's surfacing right now. Your tenderness and goodness.